When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, listeners. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 352 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice, maybe three times weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing all things houseplants. Now, if you're like me, when you think about creating that minimalist aesthetic, that stress-free haven that we're all trying to create out of our homes, I think about three things. The first, of course, is no clutter, clear countertops. The second is neutral tones. And the third, of course, is an abundance of houseplants. Houseplants come with an abundance of physical and mental benefits for ourselves and our families. However, if we're killing our houseplants, as I often do, uh, the benefits are moot. So today I'm asking a plant expert all of my burning questions. If you're a complete novice at the houseplant game, this episode is definitely for you. My guest has you covered. But if you're more intermediate, like me, and you want to take your houseplant game to the next level. So you want to know how to get your orchids to rebloom, or you want to know how often you should actually be fertilizing. My guest also has you in mind as well. Today, I'm speaking with Maria Faella. She is the host of the Growing Joy podcast, and she was once a plant killer, but now she is a proud plant parent. Maria, I have so many questions for you today, and I can't wait to ask them all. How are you? Hi, me too. And you know, uh, your pod, I've really been enjoying your podcast because I'm not a minimalist. So I've learned a lot from you and I'm definitely trying to apply it to my life. So thank you. Well, you're so welcome. I, I'm guessing you would say you're likely a plant maximalist. And so I'm looking forward to gleaning all your wisdom about plants and about podcasting. Let's start by you telling us who you are, what Growing Joy, the Growing Joy podcast is about. Tell me all of it. Yeah, so I'm Maria. I host the Growing Joy podcast. It's the top houseplant care and garden podcast out there. I help people care for plants successfully and cultivate joy in their lives. I'm also the author of Growing Joy, the Plant Lover's Guide to Cultivating Happiness. It's a self-help book about how to use plants to live a happier life. And all of this came about, I used to be an epic plant killer. So whoever's listening, if you are not a plant person, if you have killed plants before, I'm there with you. I've done whatever you've done to your plants, I've done way weirder and way worse stuff. I decided that even though I had this horrific history of killing any plant that I brought home, that I would give plants one more try in an effort to kind of bring life and, you know, just this like cozy feeling into our into our home. You know, if you look at any magazine, 
all of these interior design magazines, all the Pinterest photos have these beautiful plants as part of the interior design aspect. And what I like to say is I came for the aesthetic of plants, but I stayed for the wellness. So I was living in 500 square feet in New York City. I was so overstimulated, so overscheduled. I woke up with my phone in the morning. I had coffee with my phone in the morning. And when I started caring for plants, I started having coffee with my plants instead. And that simple shift, it changed my life. It helped me connect with myself. It helped me connect back to nature. And in those moments of connection, um, you know, I'm a self-help junkie. And it was wild that I'd spent, you know, thousands of dollars on therapy and yoga retreats and juice cleanses and all sorts of like wackadoo therapeutic stuff. And it was these, you know, affordable little pots of plants that were bringing me the most joy. Well, your answer there really spoke to first the aesthetics that plants bring into a home. I know probably most of my listeners, many of my listeners, they associate houseplants with the minimalist aesthetic. There's something about bringing the outside in that's very powerful when we talk about creating that calming haven out of a home. But you also mentioned the wellness aspect. And so I'm wondering if we can drill down on the why for listeners who are listening right now and are thinking to themselves, I do not have the time, the mental energy, the space in my life to add another living thing onto my already overflowing to-do list. What would you say to those listeners? Well, first off, the last five years has been this exploration of why do plants make us feel so good? It's weird. Like when you start caring for plants and, you know, I've spoken at this point to thousands of members of my community and I thought that it was a weird personal thing that I was going through. This feeling of when I started successfully caring for plants, all of a sudden it was bringing me so much joy. I was sitting on my balcony singing to my plants like a seemingly crazy person. There was this part of my heart that opened up. And I was like, well, I'm a naturally dramatic person. I'm an actress. Maybe this is just my my own thing. But then I started hearing from so many members of my community that you you experience this connection in a way that you haven't felt before. So there are so many reasons why plants are worth taking the time to learn how to care for, to incorporate into your lifestyle, once again, into your lifestyle, not adding something to your to-do list. There's this concept that I know personally I've experienced that I think a lot of other people have experienced. It's called plant blindness. It's been written about by scientists and papers published about it, but it's this concept that, you know, if you think about our grandparents, 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 they were in nature. As human beings, our nervous systems were created and evolved in nature. It is natural for us to be surrounded by living things. And that's where our nervous systems feel calmest. And as society has grown and technology has come in and these large cities have been built and people live in little ant farms, myself included, I lived in 500 square feet, we become farther and farther disconnected to nature. And our bodies don't want that. Our bodies want to be around nature. There's this other concept called biophilia, which was penned in the 70s. And it talks about how as humans, as living things, we are intrinsically hardwired to feel connected to other living things. So a lot of people experience this biophilic effect with pets. You feel the minute you pet your dog or your cat, there is some 
calming sensation that rushes over your body, right? It's that likeness of being around other living things. But plant blindness then comes into play and dissociates us from the fact that nature and plants are living. But when you start getting in a garden, when you start caring for plants, you start tapping back into that feeling that you get from having a pet. But really, plants are way more low maintenance than a pet. And there's a lot of studies now that have proven that, you know, forest bathing, which is the practice of going and spending time like in literal nature in the forest, has incredible effects from a cellular level on your body. People who have access to green space are going to have less risk of depression. Like there's all of these incredible studies that kind of show these things. And so bringing plants indoors It's step one, right? A lot of us don't have time to get in the car, go to a forest, go spend 60 minutes in a forest, you know, three times a week. That's so ideal. I I wish we all had that opportunity, but we don't. So having a few plants and trying to kind of recreate that bond and recreate this experience of spending time with them can help us kind of connect to this part of our, our natural selves that has been, for lack of a planty term, lying dormant for a while. Well, I see what you did there with your dormant reference. I like it. I like a good pun. (laughs) Totally. What about air quality, though? I was always under the impression that adding a houseplant or two or one into every room was a great way to improve air quality. Is that true? This is a very good question. So there is some like fake news swirling around about plants. And so with the air quality, basically what happened is in the 70s and 80s, NASA did this big study that was trying to prove that plants do, uh, through their natural processes, remove volatile organic compounds, VOCs, from the air. These studies that were really incredible, it proved that plants do clean the air. So yes, you're right, they do. But you have to think about the conditions that these studies were done. So they were in completely airtight rooms that had no windows, no airflow, no forced heating, no air conditioning, this very controlled environment. So people use those NASA studies in these marketing efforts with plants to say, yeah, this plant cleans the air, this plant cleans the air. When you think about... um all of the different, you know, heating, air conditioning, windows open, all of these things that affect our homes that aren't exactly the same as this NASA study, you're not going to get that same effect. But yes, these plants do neutralize something, but I I don't think that they're going to be as effective as an air purifier. The other thing is I was reading something that it says in order to kind of get the the desired effect of this air purification equal to an air purifier, you have to have like I think it was like 10 plants for every square foot. Like you have to have an excessive amount of plants to to enjoy it. Well, what I love about talking to you, Maria, is you really explain the benefits of caring for a plant on your own personal wellness. I will say for me, however, I, w- I have probably in my whole house, maybe 15 plants. And I would say that for me, when a plant... When a plant's health goes south, it does the opposite for my wellness. It's a stress inducer as opposed to a stress reliever. So what I would love to do with you today is to do a plant care crash course for my listeners of sorts. Like, What are the skills and steps we need to take to reduce the chances that our plants, which traditionally provide wellness opportunities, actually provide stress and anxiety into our lives. So we want to keep these plants alive. Is it possible to have, let's say, five plants 
and all the supplies you need for those five plants without spending an exorbitant amount of money. The beauty of plants, the beauty of plant care is you can spend almost nothing on plants and have a really beautiful collection. And you can spend thousands upon thousands of dollars on this plant collection. I mean, like, I guess any sort of collectible thing, right? Like there's, there's definitely room to play with here. All I would say that you really need is a bag of high quality soil, only five plants. That's probably just one bag, right? I use Espoma Organic. You can use whatever you want, but I highly recommend using organic soils, especially if you have pets or if you have children. So I would say where you invest is the potting mix. Um, and definitely don't go outside, dig up some dirt, and then pot houseplants in that dirt because houseplants, obviously, when they're indoors, they don't have the same conditions. They're not getting rained on. There's not wind. There's not extreme bouts of heat that dry the soil out. So that that dirt is way too dense. It's going to stay way too saturated. It's going to have way too much clay in it. So get the bagged potting mix. If you're going to invest in anything, like don't don't save there. Get the potting mix if you're going to have houseplants. You can go terracotta pots, which are super affordable. You can also go upcycled jelly jars. I see people convert their Talenti, you know, ice cream jars. I've seen people upcycle those jars. So you could probably look around your home, um, look in your refrigerator. Mason jars also are incredible. The other thing that I've found a habit of doing is going to thrift shops and you can get incredible deals on vessels at thrift shops. And I think pots is where people can really overspend because, you know, they're all so pretty and we want the really pretty ones, but I think you can totally get creative there. And then with plants, if you're going to buy them, you're going to have to go spend money. There are way more affordable plants. There are super rare plants, right? You can buy a nice six-inch pothos at a local garden center for probably $9.99 or you could buy a six-inch pink princess philodendron for $100. So it depends upon what type of plants you want to bring home. But if you want to start with your basic classic pothos, philodendron, snake plants, um, some Hoyas are getting really affordable, there's really affordable ways. Now, you can get plants for free. If you have friends that have plants, you can take cuttings of their plants. There are cuttings groups on uh, Facebook as well that frequently offer free plants. But, you know, I have a great plant that's really vigorous. And so what I'll do is take a few cuttings of the tips of some of the stems um, where roots can grow, pop them in water, root them up, give them to you. And then all you have to do is plant those in soil and the plant will be very robust. So I've been at this for five or six years. I went to a few plant swaps when I was starting out five years ago. I got this one Monstera plant. It was it had five leaves. It was tiny. It was in a four-inch pot. And over the last five years, it's grown into the most epic Monstera. And it's in like an eight or 10-inch pot now. It's got those big fenestrated leaves, which are the big Monstera leaves with the holes in them. But yeah, getting small cuttings and then nurturing them and letting them grow into these more lush plants is a very affordable way of growing your plant collection as well. Hmm. Yeah, your answer there makes me make comparisons between the hobby of 
indoor plant care, and any other hobby. As minimalists, right, listeners, we're not going to go zero to 100 and buy all the stuff, especially for a hobby we might not stick with, right? We're going to go to our local buy nothing group. I know my buy nothing group, people are asking for and people are giving away cuttings of their plants all the time. So why would I go to my local garden center and pay $10 when I could get something for free. That's just me personally. Absolutely. And then you mentioned pots as well. I am of the persuasion to search thrift stores or again, buy nothing or ask my neighbors. But is there something I should be doing to secondhand pots? Should I be disinfecting them? And if so, how? It's a great question. Um, You know, I think this is probably to everybody's different level of comfort. I would definitely wash all the pots that I bring home with soap and water. You want to make sure that, you know, because sometimes with pots, there's dried soil on the inside. Give it a really good soak. Make sure all that old soil is out. You don't know what like fungal or, you know, whatever's going on. If you get secondhand terracotta, people treat the terracotta by soaking them, submerging them in water and like fully soaking the terracotta because terracotta is very porous and it absorbs water. So you can give it like a really nice dunk. Um, But I would definitely say disinfecting just with – I do soap and water. If you want to go bleach, if you want to go more hardcore, that's fine. But for me, a good soap and water moment is, is totally good. Well, Maria, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to ask you about growing plants in my cold and dark house. How do I do it? We'll get there after a quick word from our sponsors. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, HomeThreads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. HomeThreads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to HomeThreads. We have a HomeThreads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high-quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game-changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch, They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. 
And we're back. Today I'm speaking with Maria Fiella. She is the host of the Growing Joy podcast and author of a book by the same name, Growing Joy. Before the break, Maria, you laid out a plan to get plants, pots, and maybe a bag of soil for under $20. I'm on board. But talk to me about the conditions of the home. My home in the winter here in New England is really cold, like 62 degrees. It's a dark home. It's not humid. Only, you know, maybe two months a year is it humid. So are my plants doomed? First off, plants are pretty hardy if you choose. So you need low-maintenance hardy plants, Stephanie. I know. So I have a plant parent personality test on my website. Anyone is welcome to go take it. It's free. It takes two minutes. But basically, you take a couple questions and I give you your personality profile and recommended plants for that personality. You're definitely a low-maintenance plant parent. I can tell. (laughs) And I think you'll need you know, these low-maintenance, hardy, low-light plants. Understanding your natural light environment is really important, and I think a lot of people overestimate how much light they're getting. You bring up a great point. In the wintertime, your house is going to be even darker than in the summer, especially we're both in the Northeast, deciduous trees. So maybe in the summer, you're actually shaded because you have trees outside your windows, but in the winter, those leaves fall, and then you have some sunlight. So you have to be a super sleuth looking at your own house and figuring out where are my windows, what direction do they face? So this is a very easy way to assess generally your lighting opportunities. If you have southern facing windows, those are generally going to be the most light availability because the sun rises in the east, sets in the west. It's always in the south. So the sun is going to be shining there. Second strongest is going to be west, western exposure windows, because as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, it gets a little bit hotter and a little bit stronger. Next is going to be east, eastern exposure windows. That's that gentle, beautiful morning light that's good for like a medium light plant. And then northern facing windows are sadly your kind of worst option. You definitely have your most limited opportunity with northern facing windows because they're pretty much not getting direct sunlight. Once again, you have to be a super sleuth. Do you have trees in front of your windows? Do you have a building blocking your sun? So you very astutely have already assessed that you're not getting that much light. So that puts you in the low light plant category. And because your house is cold, I would also say you need to be in the hardy plant category. If you think about it, Deserts experience wide ranges of cold and hot, right? Like these plants are pretty hardy. They have to survive outside in like pretty intense conditions. So cold is okay. Um, Drafty can be tricky with certain types of plants. Obviously, plants don't want to be constantly, you know, in drafty conditions. But I have some snake plants that sit out in front of one of the draftiest windows in my space and they're okay. So I would say you absolutely can have plants, but you're going to have to be really specific in what you choose. So I would recommend snake plants would be your best friend here. They're the most forgiving plants ever. Pothos and philodendron, also low light, low light tolerant, hardy. I mean, one of my first houseplants was a pothos. And I say, gosh, I learned so many lessons on it. And I almost killed this thing so many times. I have done everything to this poor plant and it keeps just 
bouncing on back for me. It's like the plant that gives me unconditional love and acceptance. ZZ plants um, have smaller leaves, but can also grow very tall. Xena can be really, really hardy. You also just want to watch your watering in a low light environment because that water, the plant is going to use the water slower um, because it doesn't have as much light. So plants make their food with light. No light, no food, dead plant, right? So the plants need light. You can't put a plant in a bathroom with no windows. They need access to light. So with that low light environment, they're not going to need as much water. Say you buy a snake plant and the care card says water it once every two weeks. On that second week when you go to water that snake plant, touch the soil and don't water it again unless the soil is dry. Some people get into this problem where instead of kind of learning about their own environment, they just go buy prescribed care cards that come with the plants and then they end up overwatering or underwatering their plants because they're not like being sensitive enough. They're not checking in with their actual plant to see what it needs, if that makes sense. Talk to me about fertilizer. Do I need to fertilize my plants? So as the plant expert, I want to tell you, yes, you should fertilize your plants. And fertilizer could be very affordable. I use Espoma Organic indoor plant food for my houseplants. It's organic. You put it in your watering can and you water. You don't need to fertilize your plants all year round. Fertilize your plants when they're growing. That's usually spring, summer. So you can choose to only fertilize your plants, you know, in the spring and summer or whenever they're growing to kind of save on those costs. I will also tell you that for the first three years of caring for plants, I didn't have, I never fertilized them, right? So houseplants don't need as much. If you're growing tomatoes outdoors, you absolutely need to feed your plants. Edible plants that you're growing require a lot more nutrition, a lot more fertilizer, a lot more plant food. Um, Houseplants, especially if you're in a low, personally, if you're in a low light environment, they're probably not going to use through that nutrition as, as quickly. But yes, I fertilize my plants when they're growing um, with organic fertilizer. I don't recommend the banana method or the eggshells. Those hacks don't really convert to the nutrition that your plants really need. So I would say either do it, like fertilize your plants with real fertilizer. And how do I know when to repot my plants? I have a Christmas cactus that is now too big for its pot? Is repotting into a bigger vessel what you do when the plant is just too big? How do I know? Does the plant give me any signs that it's time to be repotted? Yeah. So how do you, um, when you say it's too big for its pot, what what are you, what is it doing to make you say that? It just doesn't look as vibrant as it once did. First of yeah. all, it's big and the pot is kind of small and it it's just kind of I don't really even have the words to describe what it's doing. It doesn't look as healthy as it did before, I guess is the best way to put it. Gotcha. So that's a moment where it might need some fertilizer as well if it's been in the same pot. So think about in nature, plants have infinity amount of soil, right? Their roots can grow as wide as they need to to find water and to find nutrients. In this pot, when a plant is left in a pot for too long – it soaks up all of the nutrients of that existing soil, and then there's nothing left. So it could be nutrient deficiency that your plant has or time to repot. And there's multiple reasons why it's time to repot. So number one, like you mentioned, if the plant is getting too big and it's tipping over your 
pot, that's definitely time. Other, I guess, symptoms of time to repot is if you see roots growing out of the bottom of the whole bottom of the pot. So if the pot has holes in it, by the way, if you're a beginner plant parent, I recommend having holes in your pots. It's way easier to understand when your plant needs to be watered. What a lot of people do is they put them in uh, pots that have no holes. They water the plant. The water sits at the bottom of the pot. The roots sit in that water. They rot and die. And then the plant has no way of taking up water and the plant dies. So that's like – I used to do that to my plants all the time when I was a plant killer. So with pots, if you see the plant start raising above the pot, like there's so many roots and the plant almost looks like it's trying to jump out of the pot, that's a sign that it's time to repot. Roots growing out of the bottom of the pot is a sign that there are so many roots at the bottom of that pot that they're just trying to scramble out anywhere. If the plant is limp, if you water the plant and it takes up all the water and the soil dries out like within the next day, or if you're noticing you have to water more frequently, these are all signs that there's so many roots in that pot that we need to upgrade. Um, Another really easy way to check if it's time is to just take the plant out of the pot and see if the roots are pot bound. And the way that you know if the roots are pot bound is at the bottom of the pot, you'll notice if the roots start growing in usually circles, if it's a circular pot, but if roots start growing along the route of the bottom of the pot, the roots can start growing in these circles and choke themselves out. So that's when it's time to upgrade. When you upgrade to your pot, or not upgrade, but when you pot up your plant, general rule of thumb is two inches. So if your plant is in a four-inch pot, only put it in a six-inch pot. If it's in a six-inch pot, only put it in an eight-inch pot. Don't take a plant that's in a four-inch pot and put it in a 10-inch pot because what's going to happen is there is going to be so much soil in that pot and the roots are not going to be able to expand and soak up all of that water. So if you have watered soil in a 10-inch pot and almost no roots, that water is going to take way too long to evaporate out of the plant. And that's another scenario where roots can rot and, and then the plant dies. So helpful, Maria. Thank you. Before we wrap up today, I was wondering if we could do a quick little symptom and solution. So I am a big like when I have a symptom of something that looks wrong on me, I go to <laughs> I go to Google, I doom scroll. And so I'm wondering if we could do that for plants. So you tell us a common plant symptom, maybe like browning leaves or limping branches or whatever it is and then tell us what the problem is and how to fix it. So I'm going to let you take it away. Love it. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of DMs right now about brown leaves. What a lot of people don't realize with their plants is they're super sensitive to heat. You think, oh, plants want 80 degrees, but this forced dry heat that we use to heat our homes, plants are not fans of. So what I see a lot of people in our community is they have their plants thriving in the spring and summer, fall comes, heat kicks on. They don't realize that their plants are like next to or right above a radiator, a floor heater, and all of a sudden they start getting these scorched leaves. If browning is uniform, so if a plant has browning all around the edges of the leaf, that's normally a sign of too dry. You're probably near that heat source, right? Or, you know, you have a super dry house and you have a humidity loving plant. So once again, that's not the right plant for your lifestyle. If there are brown spots in the center of the leaf, that could be a fungal infection, and you can treat that with fungicide. Yellow leaves on the other side, so overwatering could look like brown or yellow leaves, and underwatering can look like brown or yellow leaves. But generally, 
overwatering is a yellow leaf. So if you're noticing that, you know, a lot of your leaves are yellow, it's looking very like limp. Um, that might be a sign of overwatering. Plants that are leggy, so plants that are like toppling over, if they're growing like super long, but there aren't a lot of leaves on the stem, that's a sign that the plant is searching for light. So you probably need to put it in more light. I have a beautiful begonia in my eastern facing window. And this is also very normal. This is just a practice that you should do. So my begonia is getting plenty of light in my eastern facing window. It's super happy. But there's this thing called phototropism. So plants' leaves will naturally turn towards the sunlight in order to, you know, get max exposure to photosynthesize and make the food that they need. So what we notice is, you know, Every couple of weeks, we notice, oh, wow, the plant has moved all of its leaves facing the window, and we're not being able to look at the gorgeous pink polka dot leaves that it has. So we have to rotate the plant. So you rotate your pot to make sure that the plant doesn't start leaning too much. Um, But once you see those interlongated um, leaves, like really stretched out, like unhappy looking leaves, that's a sign of light deficiency. A lot of the solution is light deficiency for many different issues because light is how the plant makes food. I know this is a minimalist podcast and I feel like I keep giving you guys recommendations on what to buy, but (laughs) I have to say as a solution, if you have a low light home, there are super affordable grow lights that you can get that are even just light bulbs that you just switch out You know, in your floor lamps. You can just put your grow light bulb into a floor lamp or you know, I have a frame that has a grow light in it above my desk that I have all my Hoyas in. But let's see, what else? People get thrips, spider mites, scale, mealybugs. Pest infestations usually are a sign that your plant is like a little unhappy. First protocol with pests, identify it if you can. You know, Google Google common houseplant pests online and there'll be a blog that comes up with all the different photos. You're going to want to rinse the plant with short bursts to get the pests off of the plant, and then you're probably going to need to treat the soil. There's different treatments based on, you know, whatever pest you're working with, and you can find them on Google. But a lot of pest mitigation can be done with water and gentle soap or water and hydrogen peroxide. So people love to give me orchids, and they give them to me when they're you know, in perfect bloom, they're gorgeous, and I enjoy them, and then the flowers fall off, and the plant's alive, but they don't rebloom. So what's the problem? <laughs> so this is more than a 30-second answer problem. I have a whole episode on orchids on my podcast. I interview an orchid expert, and we dive deep into this. Basically, orchids need to rebloom a period of cold it's the amount of light that they get that triggers it. So some people, once the flowers are done, they remove the flowers, they'll put it under their sink. Like they'll put it in this colder, drafty place and also in a dark place. And then they'll put them back in the sun. And that temperature and difference in light will trigger the orchid to rebloom. But I'm going to be honest with you, orchids are a whole thing in themselves. And it's not my passion at all. So I would say go listen to this interview where the guest is extremely passionate about orchids and um and you can learn more. But I'm I'm in your boat. I I get gifted orchids and I enjoy the blooms and then 
you know, I don't think I've gotten an orchid to rebloom personally yet, but I also just don't have that much of an, an interest. I have plenty of other blooming plants that I prefer. Okay. I know I keep saying I'm going to wrap up, but I have so many questions. And so I want to ask you <laughs> one more. I know orchids love humidity. And I know this because I've been to Costa Rica where orchids just bloom in the wild and they look gorgeous and it's amazing and that's not happening in my house. So I'm wondering if there's anything I can do in the winter months to improve the humidity in my house. How about a humidifier? How about um, showering with the bathroom door open? Is there anything I could do to like help with the humidity factor in these dry, cold months? Yes. Okay, great question. So let's zoom out for a minute and think about the natural environments that these houseplants are in. Most of our houseplants are tropical or subtropical plants. They're growing in the rainforest, in the jungle. They're climbing on the jungle floor, so they're lower light. That's why we can have them indoors. And then they climb up trees to look for light. Orchids are epiphytic, meaning they don't need soil. They literally attach with their roots. Their roots are so evolved that they attach to trees and basically let the rain run down the tree and soak up that water, right? So orchids, like just as you said, they are just in little cracks in trees, like living their best life. Our indoor environments are nowhere close to the freaking rainforest, right? Like you have to just kind of understand that on some level, these plants are kind of set up for failure because they've been taken out of their natural environment. And no matter what, you know, I have listeners like super, super duper plant parents that have multiple humidifiers on timers. So there's humidity always going. And yet like it's still just not going to be the rainforest. They get wind. They have pollinators. They have animals, you know, like moving around, rustling them up. That's just never going to happen indoors. So just like forgive yourself, understand that no matter what you do, you know, we're not going to make our house a rainforest. Also, that would be terrible for our paint. But I have little hygrometers all over my house. Hygrometers are these little things that measure the humidity and the temperature of your house. And my humidity too is like in the 20s. It's terrible. And that's not good for your body. If you want to supplement your humidity, humidifiers are definitely the way to go. If you want to read up on like the benefits of higher humidity for your human lungs, it's a worthwhile investment, let alone plants. A few tips with humidifiers. I have humidifiers that I diffuse essential oils in, but if you're going to use humidifiers, make sure that you wash them once a week because they can grow mold. And I had a very scary moment with my husband a couple of years ago. I thought I had cleaned a humidifier. It wasn't clean. And we woke up like almost choking in the middle of the night because there was some sort of mold there. So make sure you clean your humidifiers. If you group your plants together, it creates a microclimate. So your plants are transpiring, right? There's transpiring water. If you group your plants together, they kind of enjoy each other's transpiration. So instead of putting you know, one plant on this side of the room and one plant on this side of the room, there's a practice that you put your plants in small groups so they can enjoy a little microclimate of humidity if you don't want to do the humidifier route. The shower thing is interesting. And once or twice a year, I put all my plants in the shower actually to to mimic a rainfall and get like a really thorough clean. The only issue that I see with the shower is that the humidity yes, raises temporarily, but it's not sustained for that entire day. So yes, it temporarily gives your plants some relief, but then they're going back to that dry environment. So 
I think putting your plants in the bathroom and and putting your plants under a shower for a good clean and a a really good soaking and, and watering is really good. I don't find for humidity, it makes a lasting effect. Got it. Well, now I know to clean my humidifier. Thank you so much for that. Before we say goodbye, Maria, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what my listeners can hear on your podcast? Yeah. Well, first off, if this episode, you know, inspires you, go take my plant parent personality test. It's free. You get your plant parent personality. It's a great starting point for people who are new. And it's a fantastic opportunity to get some free recommendations on not only plants that fit your lifestyle, but some podcasts that are curated that I think would be interesting to you. But yeah, on Growing Joy, we're teaching you to care for plants. We've got episodes on how to water your plants, how to care for orchids, how to care for Hoya, how to care for low light plants. Honestly, any, I have like a, 200 episodes at this point. So whatever curiosity you have about plants, we have tutorials that will teach you how to be successful. Then I'm Growing Joy with Maria on all socials. And the podcast is called Growing Joy, as is the book. Maria, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This is officially the longest interview I've ever conducted. So Really? Sorry. I talked so much. <laughs> no, no. I, I meant it more as I just... I'm gleaning so much wisdom. I could ask even more questions. And so I hope your listeners feel served and educated. And I'm here to just, you know, educate and empower everyone. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 352. Quick ego tip today, and it comes from me. I get a good amount of emails from marketers and business people looking to get interviewed on the show. And a lot of times these interviews don't actually happen for whatever reason. Maybe I don't necessarily think it would translate to a great episode, or maybe there's some other reason. However, a lot of times the pitches that I get do offer some great information and the services or products offered I think you might be interested in. So I have two today. These are pitches that came into my email. We're not going to do an interview with the founders, but I thought maybe you guys would still want to know about these services. So they're both for parents. The first is called Hand Me Up. Hand Me Up curates secondhand mix and match capsule wardrobes for kids. So if you want secondhand clothes that match, (laughs) check out Hand Me Up. The second is for my UK listeners. I have an app recommendation for you. It's called Young Planet. And again, it's for UK listeners only at the moment. But the app allows parents to swap children's items that they no longer need for free. The goal, of course, is to keep perfectly decent items out of the landfill. So for parents today, hand me up and Young Planet, check them out if they sound interesting to you. I'll see you on Thursday and then I'll see you again on Friday for headlines. I can't wait. I'll see you then. Take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't 
don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 